Welcome to Medical Educator Talks. Hello, and welcome to MedEd Cafe, DMIG's new podcast series where we sit down with early career medical educators and talk about all things hashtag MedEd. My name is Kara Bedzina, and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm a GP and academic fellow with the University of Glasgow. And today we are joined by members of the DMEG committee. We've got LJ. Hi. Jamie. Hello. And Lewis. Good evening. Great. So good to have you guys here. Um, so why don't you guys go ahead and formally introduce yourselves? Uh, we'll go LJ, Jamie, and then Lewis. So hi everyone, I'm LJ. I'm a GP trainee based in Oxford. I am a senior education fellow based in London and I'm one of the co-chairs at the moment of the of DMEG. And I'm Jamie. I am a medical advisor in occupational health and I work as a lecturer at the University of Surrey teaching physician associates and I'm the other co-lead of DMEG. My name's Lewis. I am an anaesthetic trainee by background. I currently work down on the south coast. Unlike these other guys, I don't have a formal med ed role, uh, but I am part of the DMEG committee. Great. Um, so this is an experiment. It's the first time we're doing a multi-person podcast, i.e. more than two people. And I was having I think about what we would start with. And what I really wanted to explore was myths around med ed. So LJ, what do you feel is the biggest myth uh, around med ed and med ed work? Honestly, I think the biggest myth is that it's sort of easy and that it, you know, it's something that you can just squeeze in without having time allocated to it it's something you can just do without any training uh it's something that it's just really easy just to whack on a cv and um my experience of it is that it certainly isn't easy it's a it's a lot of lot of hours it could be a lot of prepping and planning if you're teaching uh, a lot of portfolio work if you're looking at doing things like pg certs or masters um just a lot a lot goes into things like this so that is easy I think it's the biggest myth yeah I, I would have to agree that was one of the biggest shocks students had when they started shadowing us in med ed they were like I didn't know you guys had to prepare and I was just shocked myself I was like what do we think what do you think we do how about you guys uh Lewis does that echo your uh ideas or or what you've heard people say yeah, I, I mean, I completely get that. I think it's very hard to appreciate from the learner's side just how much effort your teacher might have put into that session. There are some projects that you do that you've literally spent like hundreds of hours, potentially. And one of the big projects that, that Jamie and I did, we spent most of the a year preparing for, for a one day event. And then, um, and I think, yeah, no one really appreciates or maybe they do appreciate, but they, they don't necessarily understand how much um, goes into all that planning. Yeah. So this is, is this Frimley Park that you're referring to? Uh, Simley Park. Oh, Simley Park. Whoops. <laughs> Start with a name and then work out what it's going to be afterwards. That's been our, our biggest motto thus far. 
interesting now I've heard you I've heard you guys talk a lot about Simley Park even though I can't get the name right and I think it's a great thing to talk about because it's really about your origin in in MedEd so so tell me Jamie about how you got started in MedEd and how that eventually led to Simley Park so to keep it really brief without waffling on too much um I fell into MedEd completely by accident is that I I was meant to have a different job entirely and then ended up scrambling for a job in February and this post came up and as part of that I met Lewis and we started teaching did the PG cert together and had a really great time doing all of that and then one day we were just trying to find someone who was great at teaching debrief we wanted to run a course to improve the debrief at the hospital and we went to a local university and they had two wards where they completely faked uh, a day of work for their nursing students and it blew my mind the idea that you could fake a medical scenario to that degree of reality and that got our tiny brains working and we thought hang about what can we, we we've never done this in medical training yeah nurses and paramedics use this a lot but how can we take this forward and make this useful and so that's how we came up with with Simley Park and then Lewis basically organized the whole thing and I swanned around and uh and tried not to mess anything up <laughs> I was actually just about to ask Lewis to corroborate your story and see whether all of that was accurate and so this this sort of um faking that you're referring to is actually simulation isn't that right Lewis tell me what exactly is Simley Park then yeah so basically what we wanted to do is to simulate the entire an entire day's worth of work so basically the incoming FY1 doctors would have essentially throughout the day done a simulated ward round that's created some jobs. They then have the afternoon to get on with those jobs. They then go and look after one of their patients that were deteriorating. And they do all of that within the same confines and the same teams that they would actually be working with several days later, using the same paperwork, the same computer systems. So it was basically, that was their first day flying solo on the wards, but it was all done via simulation crazy and how many years has it been running now since you guys first did it so they've just run the third full-scale event but it's been four years now wow exciting and LJ am I correct in thinking that you have done Simley Park as well yeah so um I basically followed Jamie and Lewis two years later did the same job as they did I had never met them I just turned up at Frimley Park and was a CTF and Simley Park was sort of famous it wasn't done the year before because of COVID. Um, so it was mine and my CTF colleague Theo's job to reinvigorate it. So yeah, we did it. We did, did the same thing. And it was, yeah, it was intense. It took a lot of time, a lot of hours, even with like the work that they put in two years prior. And um, you had, uh, Jamie had spoken about how he had fallen into med ed by accident. How, how did you end up uh, becoming a CTF or, or, or getting involved in med ed activities then? I actually secretly think everyone gets involved by accident because oh, when, was... <laughs> when I was a medical student it, it was like an advert as so we got sent an email maybe like in my fifth my penultimate year of medical school we got sent an advert to come and help out with a teaching the teacher course that was happening at my medical school 
And I thought, yeah, okay. And my role in that situation was to be a student that they were to teach. Mm -hmm. All I had to do was, I think I had to bring a couple of like cases to these, I think they were GPs being taught how to teach and how to supervise medical students. And then they were all observed by their peers, debriefing me on my case that I brought. And it was my first peek behind the curtain and actually realizing, oh, people get trained to teach me at medicine mm. at med school and I didn't ever really think that you've got that that was a thing and I think mm -hmm. that kind of relays back to the myth the myth that I had mentioned earlier that it was easy and it was just something that anyone did that if you could yeah. do a job you could teach it so that was my first sort of accidental peak and then after that it was sort of I got the bug and I kind of pursued medical education -y stuff throughout foundation and then I got a CTF job like I said later down the line yeah it's interesting you talk about the bug because I, I guess now that I think about it I sort of fell in love with MedEd by accident but it was you know I, I was proactive in pursuing it you know when you go into med school you're not really thinking that far ahead you're like I need to pass my exams I need to become a doctor but I guess through observing inspiring teachers and 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 seeing what happens behind the scenes, you, you suddenly become aware of all the activity that goes on and you're like, I want to be a part of this. Did you guys have anyone over the course of your meta career who who really inspired you or really pushed you to to become a, a, a medical educator? I think uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to speak on behalf of probably me and Lewis here is that I think the guy that I'm thinking of is the same guy that you're thinking of. <laughs> so we we um, we we got funded our PG cert by through the CTF job that we were doing, which yeah. little plug, if you want to do a bit of med ed and get a bit better in, that's a great route to go down. Um, and we turned up on day one of our PG cert. And I don't think either of us fully expected how big a deal that was going to be for us and what we were going to do for the rest of the year. And yeah. we we had this we had this lecturer called Professor Dinapoli, and he honestly just blew my brain about how medical education could be, what it meant, where it came from. He did this hour and a half session where in the first half he talked about a whole load of med ed theory, and in the second half broke down what he did in the first half about the med ed theories he was using and it was like med ed inception and I remember yeah. me and Lewis coming out at the end of it and we're like wow that is yep we've got to do things differently um, and I think that's where we really started to change and experiment with what we were doing on a bigger scale. That's Perhaps. so cool. Lewis do you, have you guys stayed in touch with this guy or seen any other lectures that he's given like does he still influence your practice now yeah we were still in touch with him for quite a while in fact he even came to so Jamie and I organized a conference um during our our CTF year and he came on was one of the headline speakers from that again just because we were like what this guy you know has inspired within us we really want to share that with the world so it was kind of how many people can we get to listen to this guy talk? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were, we were super keen when we were organising this conference to get him involved. But really interestingly, um, as, as, as small as the, the world of education is, at our DMEG conference, plug 21st of September, we're going to be having a speaker called Simon Ligo Baker, 
who is going to talk about education. He's not a medical educator, but he worked an awful lot with Prof Napoli, and they've got an awful lot of the similar ideas and styles. And he was one of the um, he was one of the tutors on my master's course and it was really nice to be able to talk about someone who inspired me in one of my reflective pieces knowing that the person who was marking my stuff was gonna know who that was and knew why I felt the way I did about that session and how important it was to my development. I was actually just about to say, I was like, I really want to hear this guy speak. So it's great to hear that one of the speakers at our conference uh, is part of his circle. When you guys were talking about that, I was thinking about like how I got into MedEd. And I think Jamie knows this story, but I'm not sure if Lewis has heard it. Uh, Maybe LJ has as well, but I'll go with it anyway. So When I was uh, a baby, well, more like a toddler when I was two years old, I contracted epiglottitis, which is quite a serious, for for those people out there who don't have a medical background, it's quite a a serious and and life-threatening disease and, and, and infants can become very unwell very quick very quickly and um, at the time uh, we had a pediatrician we went to see and this pediatrician recognized that I was unwell treated me in hospital and thankfully I recovered from this illness Uh, several years later well more than several like uh, more than 19 years later uh, this uh, pediatrician taught me on my pediatrics course So I'm in med school. However, I think I was a third or fourth year student at the time. And I remember her talking about respiratory diseases in in children. And I looked around at all my peers and I saw them like listening to her, hanging on her every word. And I thought about the impact she had on me as a doctor, like she saved my life. But then I thought, Like, look at the way she's empowering the people in the classroom and look at like how many lives is she saving by educating the next generation? So I think it's so important that we share these inspirational stories, because the cool thing about MedEd is that it's an amazing way to have an impact and make a difference. So, yeah, that that's one of my like inspirational stories about about how I got into into med ed um I wonder um uh, LJ have you had any like figures that have like helped you out in your career or or made a difference in 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 your med ed chat just to go on what you said in terms of like what a difference um a person can make not just by doing that one thing but teaching people about it I actually had um a backup plan to be a teacher a school teacher if I didn't get into medicine um and Yay. it was because my science teacher was like yeah it's all very well I'll teach you chemistry and then you can maybe you'll go off and be a doctor and save all these lives and actually I've saved those lives because I taught you chemistry to get you into being a doctor and I thought that's actually pretty cool and it didn't really occur to me um how much of a difference that actually makes in med ed until I've got into med ed and I remembered that teacher telling me that back then and being like oh yeah it's true Uh, I can make this much difference as a as a doctor as a GP one day but then if I teach people about medicine I get to have a bigger impact so yeah it's one of the points that Melaine Coward brought up in her 
podcast that she did with Jamie. If you guys want to listening, want to go and check that out. That's a really good listen. Um, but she talked about how basically all of the people that you inspire as a as an educator, you kind of through them go on and have so much more of an impact than you can do just doing your clinical practice. Totally. I think as well, while we were talking about this, the listeners should know that when I was asking you about people who have inspired you, Jamie was pointing right to himself being like, me. Of course you <laughs> I are, just yeah. thought everyone should know that <laughs> Jamie feels like he's inspired LJ. <laughs> Wait, we're not putting the video out of this? Oh, crumbs. Jamie, you inspire me every day. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So I guess that like lends really nicely onto this idea of like, why med ed? What, like, not really like, what's the point, which was our first DMEG debate. Do you remember that one? It's more like, why, why do you guys continue to do it? Like what, what keeps you going? So I think um, for a lot of people working in clinical practice is quite draining, especially in the current kind of climate. And actually being in, in med ed gives you a chance to get away from that. You get to work with students who are often, you know, very engaged people that go and do medicine and other healthcare professionals. They're a self-selected group of people who are doing what they do because they're interested and they want to learn. And actually you get some time away from, you know, the wards or theatres and things like that and get to go and talk to these people who are really keen to learn what you've got to teach them. And that's really refreshing. And it just keeps um, another aspect of your job and something that's really, really interesting to keep going. I actually think that it makes me a better doctor. I, I, I do my teaching days. and I do my my clinical days. And I think both of them like raise the other one up because I get a rest from one of them and a rest from the other. And I go and teach students and then they kind of make me feel all excited about being a doctor again. I, I'm really interested in professional identity. And I think that when I like kind of speak to students about becoming a doctor and one day being a doctor and what sort of doctor they're going to be it's really really nice because I get to sort of they ask me what sort of doctor I am and I get to sort of openly outwardly reflect the sort of doctor I am and then think about that the following day when I'm sat in a in a clinic room or in the wards and things and I just think they complement each other so well um, being a doctor and being an educator so I think that's what keeps me going. Yeah I think that that really resonates with me like during the pandemic I like many clinicians felt quite burnt out and drained and meded helped me to fall in love with medicine again and I think the thing about teaching is that you actually need to know your stuff because your students uh, keep you on your toes so it's a great way to keep your knowledge up to date and you know, our, our students, they, they inspire us as well because they come with all this enthusiasm and energy. Uh, I'm curious to hear from Jamie on this. So why do you do it, Jamie? What keeps you going? I think there's a buzz for me when you have tackled on that, when you've tackled a really tough topic and someone just then gets it. And I love that. I love seeing someone go from having no understanding of what what was going on to then being able to completely understand it and put it together with something else and I think for me it's taken on a new meaning now I understand the the sort of learning process that people have gone through and now I understand why someone has got it 
and now I understand why I'm doing a certain thing. It's just a really lovely layer of how can I get this person to understand, you know, jaundice in a way that they hadn't before and how will that affect people going forwards? And so I, I just absolutely love the the doing of the teaching. And that is the thing that keeps me going, being in front of people and um, trying to get people to to learn as best they can. That's just that's just the biggest buzz for me, I think. Yeah. We're we're preaching to the choir, aren't we? We're all, <laughs> we're self-selecting group, like those people who are listening to this podcast probably have an interest in MedEd, and hopefully they're listening to it and going like, "Yeah, I feel that too." And if not, hopefully they're you know maybe they're a bit curious, and uh, I I would hope that they would be inspired by uh, by our own enthusiasm for they were for the work we do. So, so like going on to, we've talked a lot about like the positives and earlier we talked about the myths. So the fact that actually there's a lot of work involved. So that brings me on to the challenges of working in med ed. So have you guys encountered any particular challenges in your career? I think almost like a reverse of what LJ said at the beginning, that one of the myths is that it's easy. And actually that comes across the whole time when you're trying to do something, you're trying to innovate and do something different because you know that this is going to be beneficial for the students in front of you. Mm -hmm. And people tell you that it's too hard. It's not a good idea. People Mm -hmm. say it's not been done before. And I think that there's a real reticence to try new things in, med ed for ages we've known that that sticking 300 people in a lecture hall is 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 mostly pointless and yet we do it year on year on year and I just think that 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 hesitancy to adapt and develop that holds med ed back which means that you're never going to see the same strides in med ed as you are other branches of medicine and Mm -hmm. I really truly think med ed is its own specialty within the field of medicine yeah, yeah. LJ's nodding. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're all nodding, aren't we? What what, what were you going to say, LJ? I think just that I just shows the importance of le- good leadership in medical education, and I think that that's why groups like ours is important, and that's why the Academy of Professional Standards shining a specific light on leadership mm-hmm. um, in within medical education is so important because if medical education doesn't take itself seriously, no one else is mm-hmm. because. The myth is that it's easy and, pe- and it's too much hard work to do anything, you know, that could be effective. So, yeah, it's just of course, it's important. It's so, so important for, for leadership in medical education. And I think that hopefully DMEG are helping people sort of like make those steps. Certainly has helped me. <laughs> I don't know. I would have gone through the past year without you guys. Yeah. Like it's been. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think. I think that is one of the challenges and it's one of the sort of comments I get from people or questions. So usually I'm approached by either a trainee or a medical student and they're like, I really like this. How do I start? And yes, there are one year posts that you can take up, but that that's basically it. Then the other positions that, that are available are in the big boy leagues. So it's actually difficult in the way that there isn't a clear path for medical educators. And that's something that I feel um, uh, particularly 
trainees, not just people who are at the early stages, even even in the latter stages. I met someone who was just about to become a consultant and they were like, I'm not sure how I can incorporate this more. So I think that is a challenge that we will need to think about moving forward as we gain more recognition for the specialty, because there is so much method to our madness and there's so much uh, of our practice that is evidence based. Right. And I think as well that there's, you know, there's a, there's a generation, if I could call it that, of people who are supervisors and people who are in educational roles um, within medicine and dentistry and veterinary and science and PA studies, perhaps, um, who, who, who are there, mostly there due to their seniority and their clinical mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that actually like we're representative, our generation are representative of those that are professionalizing it. So we're getting the PG certs and we're doing those roles in our F3 years or taking years out of program or building it into our job plans where we take medical education seriously and give it the time that it needs to do well and to train within it and to build up your, your professional development within it. And things like the academy giving you accreditation, being members of other uh, organisations as well. Um, so I think it looks really bright, but it feels like a, a, a you're always pushing and always trying to justify why you're doing med ed and why you're spending your time and your study leave and your study budget doing it. I wonder what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think that follows on exactly from from what you said earlier about it being considered as as something something easy is that it's not something that you need to work at it's not something that you need mm-hmm. to take that time to do it can be squeezed into a lunch break or after hours um so it's i think it's always going to be that fight until the point at which it is recognized um as as you know a, a big specialty yeah, we've we've discussed about this. And it's not just within our profession, it's other professions. By nature of being an expert, it does not mean that you can teach that which you are an expert of. So expertise does not mean you're necessarily an educator or the best person to educate on your expert subject. So mm-hmm we need to think about training the trainers and, and, and ensuring that the future medical educators um, are given the time and space to grow and develop. Uh, Lewis, do you have any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I was just thinking as you guys were talking about how important it is that people do start to recognize that medical education in in and of itself is something that's worth doing because it makes a huge difference to someone being able to develop themselves as an educator going from oh I'm a first year doctor and I've been told that I need to do education so what that means is I'm going to have to give up my time after work or during my lunchtime to go and teach the medical students and you've got no time to prepare because you're working a full-time job to take that forward you really need some time and it's really useful to have supportive kind of supervisors and people in these roles that you can say actually look I want a day of study leave so I can go and help and run this simulation or I want a day of study leave so I can go and do this teach the teachers course and then by doing those things you kind of develop more kind of authority within your practice of medical education and then that kind of gradually snowballs to say okay like you know I've done my sim faculty course now so now can I have some time off to go and be a member of sim faculty because it's something in med ed that I've trained to do I'd like to continue to do it 
Um, so I think in, in taking those kind of small steps and it goes from that, you're doing it in your spare time to doing a job role like you guys do currently that has med ed time specifically built into it. I think that's a great bit of advice, uh, Lewis. Take small steps in the direction you want to go and that will then snowball. So get out there, volunteer to get involved in a teaching session, volunteer to help out in the same session, or if you're quite senior, volunteer to take part and help in an OSCE. They're always looking for people. And I think that little advice from you, Lewis, really goes well with like one of the questions I had for you guys, which is what is the best bit of advice or one of the better bits of advice that you've been given uh, during your med ed career? If I could uh, answer your question in a slightly convoluted way, but not too convoluted. I thought that the best bit of advice I ever got was say yes and figure it out later. Mm -hmm. And I ran with that. I think I ran with that from about probably when I first discovered med ed, probably. So I'd say about five, six years, I've been saying yes to everything. I've been putting mm -hmm. my hands up to things. I've been saying, oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And then it snowballed, right? Like, just like Lewis has said, it, it does snowball when you, you get yourself in a room or you get to meet somebody and then it all kind of goes from there. And I think that's why I'm here now. But I think now that I'm in this situation, I think the best bit of advice I could give myself and give everybody else is you know saying no is actually trickier and, but might be more beneficial to you than a uh, keep saying yes all the time that's hard to do isn't it oh that's gonna really be the opposite of my advice which is <laughs> let's hear it though like we want all bits of advice the, op <laughs> the opportunities <laughs> the opportunities that come up are just quite often random and serendipitous and a role on a committee here or a teaching session here that you don't think will lead to anything that the reason I got the job with Lewis is that I I was I had a half day and I started doing um I started doing the year the F2 education days teaching on AKI and then the consultant realized that I like teaching and said do you want a job and I think that whilst not saying yes to everything because that does lead to problems and uh, <laughs> burnout uh, and burnout yeah, with a capital B yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you've got to be that serendipity that we've all talked about is that you can't be serendipitous if you're always choosing exactly what you think is the right next step and sometimes yeah. you've just got to take a leap into the opportunity that's presented in front of you um like you guys are all here because we all gave dmeg a go and now we're a year and a half down the road uh, and having a good time totally i think like that uh, when you were talking about that jamie it made me think about how i got involved with dmeg so as as you guys no, I'm a big Instagram fan and like I helped set up uh, an educational page for at my previous job. So I didn't use Twitter. I didn't really like Twitter. I saw it as something that other people used. But about two or three months into my job, I realized that's where a lot of the med ed academics, educators, etc. were. So I I started a page as a medical educator and I think I asked a question about conferences and LJ was one of the people who commented on that post and 
I started following her and then I saw DMEG debates be advertised and then I came to a DMEG debate and then I really hit it off with you guys and it just snow to use Lewis's quote snowballed from there <laughs> so I think in making the most out of those app opportunities getting yourself out there getting involved is so important uh I want to go circle back to Lewis now and ask him what the best bit of advice he he's been given I'm sure we'll get wise words from Lewis I mean I, th I think the best advice that I was given kind of follows on from that and and it's just you know start doing something get involved go and everyone that does med ed or I say everyone most people that do med ed let's go with everyone everyone that does med ed are nice <laughs> people right so just go and talk to them and say, you know, I want to be involved in this. How can I help? And that's the first step. And then it might be you run this session, come along to a DMEG debate. You start talking to people at a conference. That can be your first step. And you just keep doing things and don't necessarily wait for someone to say, yeah, it's okay. This is what we want you to do. If you see an opportunity and you think there's something that could be done that would be useful for people, just go out there and do it, make it happen. Totally. I think we all had to do a little bit of that to get to where we are now, sort of push and, and make ourselves uh, known and, and get our foot in the door. And this is the bit where I'll, where I'll tell you that when I asked this question to a senior medical educator, he gave me advice and said, ask everyone for advice, but take none of it. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he said that what you need to do is listen to lots of people and then just pick and choose what works. But in this case, it was all sound advice because uh, we all sort of agreed. I, I think one thing that I've been told personally that may, has made a big difference in, in how I work and, and with my career is, is something I think um, uh, Chris Whitty has actually um, been quoted saying this as well, which is don't listen to people you wouldn't take advice from or, or respect, essentially. And that's quite important for us to talk about because there will be people who will sort of discourage you and might have that idea that we talked about earlier that med ed is sort of a soft thing and you don't want to spend too much time doing it but uh, just know there's a good group of people out there and we love what we do and this is why we're here in dmeg right so i think we've we've uh talked about our med ed journeys we've talked about uh the reason why we continue to do what we do the challenges that we faced along the way, how people can get involved. So I think uh, I'll close with something that I've uh, asked all of my uh, sort of uh, podcast uh, interviewees, which is what bit of advice do you have to those people who are out there listening to this podcast, wanting to get involved uh, with DMEG? What message do you want to pass on? Uh, what 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 should be the next step honestly just get in contact with us we we are a group that's inclusive of doctors dentists vets PAs we've interviewed and we have people on council at the academy who are you know every every profession within health education we've got people who aren't even clinicians who are medical educators 
if you've got an idea, we want to hear it because we want to help you bring it to life. I think that we're early enough in our sort of origins that we can sort of go whichever direction we want to. And if you want to get get on the train, just email us, message us, direct message us, get on the podcast, do whatever you like, just join in. Yeah. We're quite a good bunch, I like to think. Again, I'm totally biased, but <laughs> yeah. I suppose my sort of next bit of advice for someone is come and meet us. And the best way to meet us is at our monthly DMEG debates. There's always going to be one of us there. We have chats sort of like this, but almost less structured. And it's a chance to voice your ideas. And we've had postgraduate deans of Scotland. We've had huge people in the world of med ed, vets, dentists, PAs. And come and have a chat with us. Find out what's going on. The whole point of DMEG is to find out what's going on elsewhere in the country. Because we're not going to go anywhere if we don't go somewhere together, if that makes sense. So to add a third bit of come and have a chat to us advice, um, come and just say hello at any of the MedEd conferences that go on throughout the year. There's loads that happen. Um, DMEG run their own conference. The Academy of Medical Educators run their conferences. Um, Both the Academy and DMEG always have input into loads of other medical education conferences that are happening. So if there's a MedEd conference that's happening, there's probably representation from our group there somewhere. Um, So come meet us in person. That's even more fun than having a chat with us online. Um, And, you know, we can all go down the pub afterwards as well. That sounds like a good idea. So thank you, listener, for staying with us this far. It's been a pleasure to chat to you guys today. enjoyed this episode of MedEd Cafe, give us a shout at our Twitter handle. We're also interested in any ideas you might have for further episodes and stay tuned for our next show. It should be quite interesting. So have a good one and uh, speak to you later. Bye.